Hello again, welcome back to Luxi, a podcast to reignite your wonder by exploring the science behind luxury items. This week we are concluding our series on fine jewelry by talking about amber. So Dimas, what is something you've always wondered about amber? Well, I had always wondered about the the popular science behind trapping DNA behind amber. Doing the research today, it seems that the chances of finding any dinosaur fossils is probably very low. As always, Dimosio, spoiling the punchline. <laughs> Gosh, sorry about that. <laughs> well, that is what I wondered about as well. But I have, I guess, a little bit more scientific explanation for why it's not likely that that would happen later on in the episode. Sounds good. So while diamonds and sapphires and emeralds are beautiful, uh, personally, I've always had a soft spot for amber. My grandmother got me some beautiful amber jewelry when she went to Russia, and I've always been fascinated the idea that amber was once part of a living thing and could contain living things. Uh, I also have really vivid memories of getting the book Jurassic Park, I think for like my ninth or 10th birthday. And I I remember staying up all night to read it because it was just such a good book. Dimas, how about you introduce us to Amber? I sure will. Amber is a strange gem because it's not the result of a geologic process of mineral crystallization, but instead from a biological process of a growing plant. Now, I would have told people, oh yeah, Amber is just tree sap. Well, that's what they say in Jurassic Park. Yeah, exactly. But it's not. No. So it's actually a resin. It does come from the tree, but the difference is where sap transports nutrients around the tree and actually can be very much like water in terms of its viscosity. Uh, resin is more semi-solid and acts as a defense response to an attack by insects or fungi, or even if a branch is broken, you'll see a much thicker uh, wall of something that's exuded from the tree come and plug up that injury. Do you know saps and gums are water-soluble? And resins are not. Hmm. I did not know that. That explains a few things. Resins are um, long-chain hydrocarbons. Yes, they are. And, Multi-cyclic um, hydrocarbons. Yeah. And because of that, just like plastic isn't water-soluble, that would make sense. That. But we can't call it amber yet because a lot has to happen before the <laughs> resin turns into amber. Now, fossil resins from, let's say, Europe uh, fall into two categories. The Baltic ambers and another that resembles the agathis group. Fossil resins from the Americas and Africa are closely related from the modern genus Hymenaea, which is the name of an ancient tree that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, I was reading that most of the trees that produce amber were fir trees. Okay. Yeah, well, um, there's a variety of trees, and a lot of them aren't around anymore. Um, But some trees, like witch hazels, produce a resin with a natural styrene in it. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Polystyrene, mm-hmm. as I know, is what's used in making uh, plastic uh, cups, for example. Yeah, well, there's a natural version. You just need some witch hazel in a lot of time. Wow. <laughs> and who thought? Witch hazel is, uh, <laughs> is common in other in, in other medicinal uh, plants. I think um, helps actually with as a cream, right? It helps get rid of wrinkles or something like that as an eye, as something you put under to get rid of puffy eyes. Oh, puffy eyes, yeah, but nothing yeah. gets rid of wrinkles except like filler or Botox. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't they say like to put like uh, preparation H under your That's eyes? That's for puffy. Uh, yeah. All right. So amber is a macromolecule, which is really cool. If you um, look up macromolecule, mm-hmm. it's, um, it's essentially a, a huge, huge molecule mm-hmm. or even a combination of molecules all together that are super long chain organics like diterpenes. 
to have 20 carbons and 32 hydrogens and triines. Yeah, I, I came across the terpenes as well, the sesquiterpenes. Yeah. And uh, you know who other things are terpenes? What? Methanol oh. and cannabinoids. Oh, wow, wow. So a lot of uh, sort of polyphenols or poly- polymers in plants are terpenes. And they're just terpenes because of that multi-cyclic hydrocarbon. And that's just a fancy way of saying a compound with hydrogen and carbon in rings. That probably explains why a precursor to amber called copal mm. is used as incense. Yes, a lot of fragrance. Yeah. Things yeah, like that. Kind of yeah. Like it can happen more. Amber smells too. You can use amber for incense, although it's not easily melted. Yes, that's true. In fact, melting point is between 250 and 300 degrees Celsius. Amber is also not super hard. It's only between a 2 and a 2.5 on the Mohs scale. With no, because I have four. amber jewelry. Like if I knock it against something, it's not going to break. But if I really knocked it against something, it would probably chip. Interesting. If you scrape a knife against amber jewelry, mm. a powder, a fine powder will form. Yeah. And, not, and you won't be able to slice any off. So that's one interesting way. Of course, a jeweler might get mad at you for doing that. <laughs> an interesting way to tell if amber is real. So um, this molecular polymerization from the early stages results um, from high pressures mm. and temperatures uh, creates the resin that we will admit, eventually call amber first into cobalt. Mm. It's interesting because it too can be mistaken for amber. It's generally not as thick Color-wise, mm. it doesn't have as interesting a color spectrum. Mm-hmm. The word copal is derived from the Nahuatl language, which is Aztec in origin, mm. meaning copali, which means incense. There you go. By the 18th century, Europeans uh, who were probably colonizing and finding, like the Aztecs using this stuff, found it to be a valuable ingredient in making varnish, of all things, and was quite popular for one in the manufacture of furniture and carriages, and was sometimes used as a picture varnish. Mm-hmm. By the late 19th and 20th century, varnish manufacturers in England and in the U.S. were using it on train carriages. Interesting. To keep them I'm better. assuming those are all synthetic now? The varnishes? Yeah, yeah. For the most part, even though it's still not uncommon to take something like copal and um, and convert it into a varnish. And you mm. can see um, artisan varnish manufacturers using what they're calling naturally occurring varnishes. <laughs> um, but again, this is a polymer. It's got the same I guess organics. this would be the organic, organic varnish? Organic varnish, yes. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Gluten-free varnish? <laughs> Guilt-free. Yes. So sustained heat and pressure, the terpenes of copal um, are driven away. Hmm. And that means that amber can then start to form. And for that to happen, the resin must be resistant to decay. What causes decay? Well, sunlight, rain, microorganisms, fungi, and even extreme temperatures will uh, disintegrate the resin. And it's really important that it survives a long time because it takes a really long time for something to become amber. Uh, Copal, for example... Only takes about 10 million years. Whereas amber, oh, 30 to 90 million years, with some amber as old as 320 million years of age. The paper I found in Current Biology says that amber dating is used using sediments in which it's buried, and since amber isn't mineralized, it can't be dated with isotypes like fossil bones. So the surrounding strata are dated using either microfossils or radiometric dates of zircon crystals in the strata, or both. Very interesting. 
Mm -hmm. So, where can you find amber? Well, apparently amber is almost all over the world, mm -hmm. wherever trees have been. <laughs> Makes you can sense. find amber. Um, however, there are places where amber is particularly common. Um, I found out that even though only 5% of the world's amber comes from the Ukraine, hmm. the Ukraine has potentially um, more than three quarters of the world's supply of amber. But there's plenty of amber in Kaliningrad, mm -hmm. in um in the Baltics, mm -hmm. Eastern Europe, the Lithuanian seacoast, known for its Baltic succinate in the past. Sustinate. Sustinate. Oh, thanks. Thanks. I appreciate that. It is uh, another place where you can find it, and that just washes up on the shore. Mm -hmm. But another place where amber is quite interestingly found is the Dominican Republic, mm -hmm. um, derived from the Hymenaea proterra, another extinct prehistoric tree. This source of Dominican amber. Uh, has an orange origin of around 16 to 25 million years. So it uh, sounds ancient, but this is actually one of the youngest types of amber, mm. with the oldest, oldest one certainly exceeding 40 million years. Now, Dominican amber is considered to be some of the most interesting uh, amber for, like, jewelry and such because right. it's often fully transparent, contains a lot of fossil inclusions, which makes it interesting to look at. Mm. Um, there's also a fair bit of uh, color variety in Dominican amber because of those inclusions, creating red amber, green amber, and even blue amber. Apparently, this stuff is quite expensive. I bet. Amber is mined in the Dominican Republic, especially blue amber in the Palo Quemado mine, uh, using bell pitting, which I had never known about, just a very crude form, a very ancient form of mining where you just essentially dig a hole in the earth <laughs> and hope it doesn't fill up with water when it rains. Hmm. Well, apparently, the classical names for amber, like electrum, hmm. and then the ancient Greek electron, sound familiar, don't they? Electron? What? It means electric or beaming sun. I think a lot of it had to do with color. Apparently, Phaeton, son of Helios, who was killed, his mourning sisters became poplar trees, and their tears became electron mm -hmm. or amber. You could rub amber uh, on a wool um, on a wool shirt or on a wool carpet and create an enormous amount of static charge. <laughs> and then, you know, hey, hey, here, catch this and give someone a terrible... Um, shock. So as far as other applications for amber in science, obviously the Greek mathematician and philosopher named Thales, who lived in the city of Miletus, now in Turkey, kicked off our story when he discovered the basic principle of static electricity. Rubbing a rod of amber was able to find that he could pick up other lightweight objects with this rod, like bits of feathers. He didn't have paper back then, so he was picking Apparently, uh, spinning wheels in Syria would have spokes made of amber so they could pick up the chaff that would fall from the spinning wheels so that mm. would be more easily collected. Sort of a, an electronic vacuum cleaner. <laughs> William Gilbert was the first person to coin the Latin term electrius, a word meaning like amber, reflecting the original discovery from the Greeks, believing that electricity was called by a fluid called effluvium, which could move from place to place. He is also known for his theory that the earth was one giant magnet. Which well, I mean, it has a magnetic field, so yeah, it wasn't, wasn't that far off. You spectacular. Gilbert, I, you know, slut, and maybe we don't, we should, we should probably look into Gilbert's story a little bit. Fascinating. Um, as far as industrial uses, I found a few interesting ones. Apparently, Oil of amber, which can be decomposed above 200 degrees C, 
leaves a black residue known as amber colophony or amber pitch, which can then be created and turned into amber varnish mm-hmm. or amber lock with linseed oil. Uh, also, some interesting things about creating novel polyamide composite fibers using amber, because apparently the um, amber, the type of polyamide or the type of polymer that amber is, is good with skin. Mm-hmm. So you could make, for example, compression socks or something like that, where you have a fiber that's in close contact to skin with, with a certain amount of pressure. It'd be a, a comfortable way to do that without causing skin irritation. I also found out that amber teething necklaces are a thing. Oh, yeah. And not a good thing either. No. According to research by the Canadian and Australian Health Services, there was found that there were no claims to any of the benefit of, of an amber teething necklace. It does not release succinic acid, but that there's, if anything, there's more reports of accidental choking and mm-hmm. strangulation because of these necklaces. So that's, um, that's some of the uh, interesting uh, stuff that I have about amber. Okay. I have two stories I'm going okay, to tell. Okay, two stories. So the first story is about some early drug development. So as you alluded to, the ancient Greeks used amber for medicinal purposes, and it's also been used as an antipyretic or anti-fever and an anti-inflammatory substance in Russia and in Scandinavia. So when science comes across the traditional use of amber, and that scientist would probably wonder what, what in the amber could cause those effects. So one of the first steps in drug development is to create an extract of the soluble molecules in the amber and put that on a cell line, some you know cells grown in the lab, and see what happens. So that's exactly what a group of scientists did. They uh, extracted the amber and put it on some macrophages, which are one of your body's lines of defense, your innate immune system. And they saw some anti-inflammatory effects. And they're like, all right, cool. What else could it do? So they took that extract and they put it on some mouse adipocytes, which are fat cells. So the amber came from Kaliningrad and it was crushed and powdered and added to some ethanol. And when it was extracted and overheat and then filtered, and then the residue was extracted again and filtered. And so what you have is anything that would be dissolved in the alcohol is pulled out of the amber and it's now in the alcohol. So this extract was added to a mouse fat cell line and the mouse cells that had the amber extract saw increased lipolysis. So lipolysis is the process by which lipid triglycerides in your body are hydrolyzed into glucose and free fatty acids. It's essentially how your body makes energy from fat. So it's using fat cells. Fat burning. Yes. So Um, Erica Sogo et al. published this data in 2021 in the journal Molecules. And this is really preliminary data. So what would happen next if people were looking for a drug to help you burn fat cells is that someone would first have to replicate this finding, and then they'd have to do it with human cells because human cells and mouse cells are not 100% equivalent. And then they would have to perform some sort of chromatography on the amber extract to isolate exactly what compound or compounds specifically has the desired effect because you want to just get the thing that, that does what you want it to do. Mm. And then that compound or compounds would go to medicinal chemists to try and find out if it would make a good drug. And there are ways to know based on structure. So usually things like the terpenes with multi-cyclic hydrocarbons are not things that a human body likes, right? Much as like we don't really like eating plastic, yeah. right? So there are ways that you can then look at the molecule and look at the active part of the molecule and say, okay, this part's toxic. If we take this part off, does it still work? And, you know, kind of do a little tinkering 
like that. If they find something they think is potent and non-toxic, then you would start a huge bunch of tests to see if you think it would be safe in people. So you do a whole bunch of animal testing first, and then if that all looks good, then you do a first in human clinical trial. It's sort of a little story about how you could potentially develop a drug from amber. Wow. Yeah. And this is the way you would create any drug though, right? Yeah, they're all, it's all pretty much the same. Well, I thank Amber for giving us a reason to talk about it. <laughs> would you like to hear another story? Yes, I would. Have you ever heard of tardigrades? No. So tardigrades are microscopic invertebrates. Like grades that show up late. They're tardy. Oh tardigrades. dear. No. Yeah. No. Right. Sorry. <laughs> so they're microscopic invertebrates that can survive extreme conditions. People like them because they seem to have very strong personalities when you photograph them. They're kind of cute. Yeah. Other names are water bears and my favorite, moss piglets. <laughs> they can live in temperatures as low as 457 degrees and as high as 357 degrees. They've been around for 530 million years, can survive a decade without water, and can even survive in space. So they took them up to space and they exposed them to the vacuum of space and then they brought them back down and those little water bears were just fine. We're able to reproduce, and it's like and nothing like, happened. Take us back up. Yeah. We liked it up there. We like vacuums. <laughs> so say you're a little water bear, just chilling out on a twig, mind your own business, not bothering anybody, mm-hmm. but the plant doesn't like you there. So all of a sudden, you can't move. You're stuck. And you've been trapped in the resin of the tree. Because mm, of the tree's and natural defense. Yeah. While that may seem like a bad day for the tardigrade, it was a fortunate set of, event, of events for scientists. So tardigrades are not often found in the fossil record, record since they are very small and they don't have body parts that favor fossilization. So they have non-biomineralized, aka soft bodies. Mm. So nothing like bones or things that would yeah. stick around. Just like gummy bears. Yeah, they actually kind of do look like gummy bears. <laughs> Uh, Only two species have been found until 2021 when a group found a third species and a third fossil. So they published their results in the Protocols of Biological Sciences, and they found it in a piece of amber from the Dominican Republic, since it's so nice and translucent. What was really cool is that tardigrades' cuticles are made of chitin, uh, which means that it fluoresces. So you can use fluorescent microscopy to visualize the details of the fossil. And they were able to classify this tardigrade as a new species, adding to the very deep family tree of the tardigrades. Wow. Apparently you can find also fluorescent um, fluorescent amber in the Dominican Republic. So mm. I wonder if it's fluorescing because it's full of tardigrade <laughs> parts. No, there's, there's probably other reasons. Um so, but one of the things that uh, I found is that amber is not immune to some of the ethical issues that occur with other gemstones. There are concerns with the trade of amber, just mm-hmm. as you talk about conflict diamonds or blood diamonds or things like that. So most recently, the Society of Vertebrate Paleontology called for a ban on trading amber from Myanmar since it is funding a repressive military government. And so obviously there's scientists on both sides of this debate, you know, some are supporting the ban. Some are saying that um, the other people who suffer are really the local population who would mine the amber and that the science would suffer if you don't have access to amber that has fossils in it. Um, but I think this is just the tip of the ethical considerations of amber. I mean, if you have a whole bunch of foreign scientists swooping into a local place and getting all the amber and swooping out and doing the research elsewhere, I think that just sets up a, an imbalance 
One of the great things, at least with amber, is it's relatively easy, based on the type of amber, to know where it comes from, yes. it seems. Yeah. So you can prevent yourself from buying something like a conflict uh, mineral, like amber or a conflict uh, adornment or jewelry. Mm. It seems like, if anything, jewelry should be a place where we exercise our freedom to, to choose something that is both beautiful and good for people. Yes, agreed. Okay. I don't have that many glossary terms this time. I just had lipolysis, which is the body's way of turning fat into energy. And we've covered biomineralization before, I believe in our coral episode. But just a reminder, it's a process like calcification, where you have a kind of bio part and a mineral part. I would definitely add copal, uh, because one, it's a neat Aztec word, copali. Uh, but more importantly, it's a good way for you to remember that just because that necklace might look like amber and it might even have something trapped in it, <laughs> watch out. You're probably being sold copal, and copal is not. All right, so now cocktail party facts. What is amber made of? Amber is made of a complex collection of variety of terpenes, triines. Resin. I was looking and for resin. 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 Okay. <laughs> resin. All right. <laughs> we could say that too, but... People might walk away at that point yeah, in the party. They've walked away from you before. <laughs> Can you make an extinct species by extracting amber, a DNA from amber? No. Not likely. So DNA is very susceptible to hydro uh, hydrolysis, so it probably wouldn't survive. The early reports of DNA in insects found in amber in the 1990s haven't been replicated, or the DNA was found to be a modern contaminant when it was resequenced with newer and more sensitive tests. What is a more scientific name for a water bear? A tarragon. That's a spice. A, a terp, no. Um, a tarden. Tar, tardy. Tardigrade. Tardigrade, yeah. Oh, just think of yes. your bad dad joke. Just terrible bad chat. Yes. Tardigrade. Well, you've now spent over 20 minutes with us and Amber, and we hope you learned something new and fascinating. Uh, now for some announcements. We will be starting two new series on our YouTube channel. The first one is Luxi Field Trips, we are, where we are going to be traveling to scientific, luxury, or artistic sites around Greece and talking about the science related to that location. And also, Science Sips is back. So I started Science Sips on Instagram, I think, early when we launched this podcast. And it didn't really gain traction because I think it was the wrong venue. So we're going to be doing these as YouTube shorts, where Dr. Demos and I make a cocktail and chat about some interesting science that's caught our eye during the week. So please follow us on YouTube at LuxiPod to catch both of our new series. Awesome. Yeah, so thank you for listening to this episode of Luxi. A very special thanks to my audio engineer and co-host, Demos. Our theme music is Harlequin Mood by Birdie. You can find us at luxi.podcastpage.io and we're all over social media at LuxiPod. Your experiment for this week, tell two people about our podcast and we'll see if our listener numbers go up as a result. Ooh. Yeah, we get some data collection. Like yeah. Uh, for all those people that love Amber, don't <laughs> buy it for your babies. No. Don't let your babies bite on an Amber. <laughs>